0: I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Hey everybody, it's been a little bit longer than normal between episodes. A lot's been going on in my life. For instance, I've been appointed to the board of directors for my denomination's LGBTQA plus organization, More Light Presbyterians. I only just got back yesterday from a retreat in Nashville where we all got to know each other and discuss More Light's future. And let me just say, this is a very fun and funny and also very intelligent and thoughtful group of people and I am honored to have been chosen for the board and super hopeful about where our group will take the organization and hopefully where we will help guide our whole denomination. A lot of us had stories about nearly leaving our denomination or Christianity as a whole before something pulled us back. That question of why we stay versus when we choose to let go of a faith community is one of my favorite conversations to have not because it's an easy one but because it's real in this episode i got to have some of that kind of conversation with my new friend inza amongst a myriad of other things you'll get to hear us talk about why i continue to call myself christian and why inza came to a point when she knew it was time to move on. Some of the other stuff we discussed in our long talk we recorded for like over three hours, y'all. There was just so much to talk about and we were having too much fun to stop. Include how Inza didn't come into her gender queerness until age 40, how neurodivergence and the power of story have shaped her journey, and how she moved over time from Southern Baptist to Agnostic Pagan with her very own homebrewed religion. Because we go so many places, it's possible that some of the people, stories, and things that Inza brings up won't be familiar to you, so I've included lots of links throughout this episode's transcripts that lead to explanations of those things. Speaking of links, one of the things that doesn't get brought up in this episode is that Inza is an artist, and I'll be linking to a post where you can see some of her pieces. A couple weeks after we recorded, Inza invited me to her local Unitarian Universalist Fellowship for the opening of her art exhibit there. First off, Inza's art makes my eyes really happy with its geometric use of the six LGBT rainbow colors plus black. Secondly, it was really cool to visit a UU for the first time. The worship service was set up pretty similarly to most Christian services I've been to, but, while apparently there often will be a sermon by a minister, at the service I attended, instead they had three members get up and share their respective journeys to Unitarian Universalism. And it was really cool to get to hear their different perspectives. What I was most pumped about when it came to the service, though, was that they implemented something that I've long wished to see at my churches. Before entering the worship space, there was a table where, along with filling out a name tag with your name and pronouns, you selected a green, yellow, or red sticker. What those colors represented was whether you're open to lots of physical touch, like a hug or a handshake, whether people should ask before touching you, or whether you would like no touch at all, please and thank you. I think they may have implemented those stickers for COVID reasons, but as an autistic person with sensory issues, I was thrilled. I get anxious about touch in church, the way people will clap a hand on your shoulder out of the blue, or sweep you up in a handshake at the passing of the piece before you can decline. Not everybody is comfortable with physical touch all the time, especially in spaces that are new to them or likely to cause sensory overload. I've always thought that making visible markers of everyone's comfort with touch could really help with that. I'm not saying, of course, that every UU implements that, but I was very excited that this one did. Also, Inza's art exhibit was lovely, and I got to meet some of her friends, which was fabulous. Anyway, One last thing before we jump into the episode, I want to throw a content warning out there for a lot of discussion around conservative Christians and all of their crap, anti-LGBT beliefs, transphobia, including the intense policing of a child's self-expression, and finally, some brief mentions of dementia and parent death. Please, please keep yourself safe either by looking over the timestamps in the episode notes to see what points you should skip over, or by passing on this episode as a whole. There will be a future bonus ep with Inza, where she talks about her own personal pantheon, really fun stuff, in the near future. So you don't have to miss out on Inza's story entirely, even if you have to keep yourself safe by passing on this one. Now that that's been said, and I have made this intro sufficiently way too long, let's go right after you hear from another show on the Rock Candy Network.
1: Hi, my name is Stephen Long, and I host a show here on Rock Candy called Sacred Tension. It's about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. If you find yourself uncomfortable in your faith, or if you find yourself caught between modern science and ancient religion, or if you're curious about the journeys of others who are sorting out faith and doubt, Sacred Tension is a place where nothing is off limits. You will find conversations with pastors, cult experts, spiritual leaders, and skeptics, all discussing the ways we navigate the faiths we were given. Given. Find sacred attention right here on Rock Candy and wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Inza Morgan star and I am, I guess, let's see, a trans feminine, gender fluid, polysexual lesbian. Maybe is the best way to like succinctly throw a bunch of identity boxes at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: Definitely like when I first. Was like, am I trans? I came across the term gender fluid and was like, wait, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And after being trans for a little while, I was like, I think I'm gender fluid. Nice. Very much, okay, I am very much a woman. And also, oh, wait, mm, no more non binary right now. So, and the thing that helped me with that was actually the pronouns. Mm. Sometimes somebody would say she, her, it would just feel so right. It was like, thank you. Yes, this is amazing. And then they'd be like, like a sour note like yeah it was the right note but it didn't hit quite right Mm -hmm. I realized those times it was happening was the times I was like feeling less femme so to speak but as far as pronouns go uh she her has been like my standard I always tell people sure and also if it's a more expansive or like willing to try neo pronouns kind of audience I use they're
0: nice yeah so
1: basically just taking the TH off of the normal gender neutral pronoun and using a Z instead. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It ended up settling on she, her, partially because the initial trying to get people to use, uh, zhi, zhi, or people did not mm-hmm. do that at all in my it a political cir- circle. So I just, everybody, she, her's fine. It gets the message across.
0: I feel that. Like in a perfect world, people would get it and be good at it.
1: Indeed. I also, I guess, identify as a, a comic book geek and a gamer and a game designer
2: oh cool yeah
1: like tabletops and video role-playing games are like my sweet spot i am not mm-hmm. a huge fan of competitive games or of action games mm-hmm. like i play turn-based games for a reason i like to say mm-hmm. so my handicap coordination is not the best uh so that i guess i covered sexuality gender and then hobbies hmm uh, as far as like spirituality and community-wise, I mm-hmm. am, I guess, a pagan inclined member of my local UU. The Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Athens is really awesome and has a nice cross section of different kinds of people at it. Mm-hmm. Like, like cause that's where the trans group that I was going to start was meeting when I first started back in 2017. Mm-hmm. So I saw the like seven principles on the wall and was like, I believe all those things, but just no desire to like continue further down the hall and check out the place. <laughs> but then I did at the winter solstice gathering. I was like, oh, I didn't even know there were pagan hymns and things like that. And just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it kind of took me to surprise because I just assumed slash misunderstood them to be liberal Christians. Mm-hmm. And they are, in fact, just people who believe that, you know human decency is a thing and we should not dominate other people. And we should like yes. learn from other, learn from other things and just like all these just basic common sense things. Mm-hmm. And if you get that from God or from Buddha or from this weird little man you call in your head, you call Mr. Cheese. It doesn't matter. <laughs> your beliefs don't matter what your beliefs inform your values into being. That's what matters.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That
1: was the first time I found a spiritual community since college, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm so glad that you, found that and and have been able to like have that community. Yeah, I I think the Unitarian Universalists are are super awesome for the reasons you say that it's it's less about like what you think in your head and more about how that informs your your actions in the world. Indeed. And like you said it should it should be common sense stuff, right? But sadly it's not. Like what if we just, you know, we're kind to people? Wow.
1: I know. Shocking. So like actually one of your previous guests Described it as like social justice, the religion, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like cracked up so much of that because it's you know not quite right, but also so true.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what other communities or relationships um, are most important in your life right now?
1: I mean, I have always been one of those people that really best thrives with one on one or two, uh, you know, through three, three people, maybe sometimes four or five people at once, just like mm-hmm. a little group of people. When I'm in a bigger crowd, I'm sometimes a little bit reticent.
0: Same. Yeah.
1: But I have multiple good friends I will hang out with when I get the chance, some more so than others, obviously. But uh, as far as like hanging out with a social group, it's usually either affiliated with the UU or affiliated with the uh, trans support group, which I facilitate. Oh, nice. Sometimes they'll try to be some kind of social gathering. And sometimes those have been interrupted or way less available because of pandemic-y right, stuff, but yes. that's starting to change, so, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: I've, I feel you about, like, the pandemic. That's been a big struggle for me is trying to find community. Um, I've mostly stuck to online stuff for a while now.
1: Yeah, we have had, from, let's say, 2006 era to 2018 era, we had a pretty constant and steady revolving door of people coming to our house to play games semi-regularly. And a lot of them were, like, centered around specifically, like, this one game that me and my roommate designed.
0: Oh, I would love that.
1: And a lot of that kind of started falling away mm-hmm. as people sort of got a little older and started moving away and getting uh, out of the habit or, like, all of a sudden having to work on the days that... Right. And also... I was working at the job that, like, was, like, a fire hose of new people uh, aimed at me that I could just, like, skim the geeks off of and, like, bring them into the gaming circle and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it just kind of started to wither away. And then when life got crazy and complicated, even before the pandemic, it just, we yeah. started only being able to play, like, once every six months or so. And so hopefully we will be able to rearrange that and mm-hmm. start gaming again soon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but to to move on. So you're 46 now and you mentioned in your email that it took you till you were 40 to sort of to realize that you're queer. Um so I was just kind of curious about what were some of the things that impeded that self-recognition and what finally freed you to explore your own queerness.
1: So that is definitely a multi-pronged answer. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like a late November baby. My mom calls me the turkey baby because I was born around Thanksgiving. I uh <laughs> So it was like April of 2016. So it was like I was like basically 40 and a half. Okay. When all these little pebbles that had started falling off the mountain <laughs> started gathering steam and became the avalanche that kind of led to me going, oh, I guess I am trans. Mm-hmm. And there is I like often phrase it as I came out to myself
2: mm-hmm.
1: or something like that. But I mean, if I'm being honest, I kind of knew slash strongly suspected slash thought maybe but if not then what else makes sense Og, kind of around the whole issue Mm -hmm. since I was a kid like right one of the things that impeded so I think I like wrote in the outline something like uh internalized transphobia and bad science Mm -hmm. and yeah that internalized transphobia was not absorbed from any one particular place definitely some of it was from the church and my upbringing in the church right but definitely some of it was just pop culture and Absolutely. if it's raised you know. in a like atheist household, I would have been exposed to trans people are either the murdered or the murderers. And either yeah. way, they're probably sex workers and only like men. So I didn't fit any of those. And I didn't want to fit any of them really, because I didn't like boys boyhood. <laughs> Why would I like boys, you know? <laughs> and so it just didn't make sense that I would be anything other than a straight person. And so that was part of it. Just the figuring out you're trans being when you don't even know that's like a possibility.
0: Yeah. Oh.
1: Despite all the clues that you find out about when you look backwards and go,
0: oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that, like, it makes me so sad and also, like, just angry at society that I've had several people on the show now and then just friends who have told me something similar about. One of the main things that kept them from sort of embracing their transness was that idea of, oh, if I am a trans woman, then I have to like men and men only. Or if I'm a trans man, I have to like women. and Like just that sort of conflation there. um, That that is what keeps people from recognizing who they are for so long. It's just, I'm glad that it seems like people, younger people are realizing sooner and getting the information sooner so that they don't have to sort of we stuck there and i know you also mentioned that for a while you just didn't know the word gender queer
1: yeah um it was like one of those pebbles that i was mentioning uh-huh. was in late 2015 i think sometime in 2015 i'm almost positive uh-huh hearing an npr story about those wacky kids in college with all their <laughs> different genders besides and it wasn't really gone with that specific they weren't like gee willikers about it <laughs> but they were like just very much like the we're trying to like present this in a way that people who have never even heard the word neopronoun, let alone like there might be more than two genders or even sexes. They were trying to like break into them, but it was also kind of the first introduction to me of, oh, this isn't just some speculative science fiction story about like people with no gender. This is people living right now, getting other people to recognize that they aren't men or women. And then like, Mm -hmm. like I said, it didn't instantly kick in Mm -hmm. that, oh, that's wit. And another one of the pebbles was the learning what cis really meant. Because mm. like 2012, I first heard the word cis as not trans. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, then I guess I'm cis. Because I knew back when I was 14, and I looked up in that book at Emory Library, that trans women are uh, men who want to cut off their penis and are mm. uh, have sex with men. And I didn't want to cut off their penis, and I didn't want mm-hmm. to have sex with men. So I early on, I was just gender nonconforming and not trans. Yeah, And then several years later, like 2012, I learned this, 2015, Melissa Harris-Perry phrases it as the feeling, or like, identifying with the gender you were assigned at birth versus trans not identifying with the gender you were assigned at birth.
0: Right. Yeah, so it's so much broader.
1: Yeah. And it started to subconsciously eat away at me. And I had to realize at some point, Uh I actually have never identified identified with being a man i just was told that i was one and yeah they were also the people that told me all the other stuff that's true like gravity and you know the color of grass and things so i assume they know what they're talking about oh wait maybe they don't
0: right yeah i I like that i like that um the radio um story that you heard the college kids in 2015 running around with wacky genders. I was one of those college kids with the wacky genders in 2015. So. Thank
1: you so much. I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> I like to think I'm part of that story. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess now is the time to sort of rewind to the very beginning where, where as early as you want to go to talk about um, on the topic of what you mentioned that some of the stuff impeding your your journey was what people told you when you were sort of Expected to just accept as a given, and then stuff with growing up in the church you did, and all of that. So, um yeah, if if you're cool with it, let's dig into all of that. <laughs>
1: yeah, might as well begin at the beginning. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, some of my earliest memories are super fuzzy, and talking to other people, I get the impression that that's somewhat true for most people. But mm-hmm. maybe mine are maybe fuzzier and or spottier, or mm-hmm. something. Okay, it's hard to say for sure. And it's hard to say for sure exactly why, obviously, but some of my earliest memories are age six plus, like six to eight, maybe is a good way of saying it is my guesstimation for when, and maybe even earlier for at least one of these memories. But some of the, like of the fact that I have like maybe ten strong memories from that era, the fact that like three plus of them are in some way like me being confused as to why I was being reprimanded for how i was expressing gender in some way or whatever uh part of that was say going over to the next door neighbor girl's house and playing when i was a kid and uh, i don't know exactly what i did or what was said or whatever but i i was wanting to be more feminine or like I think she, maybe she was like a ballerina or like I had like some kind of leotard thing and I asked to try it on or something mm-hmm. and they like parents overheard and sent me home and I never got to play with her again or something I don't know oh, for sure
0: no. Oh, like, shoot.
1: oh no yeah. we don't want that we're just gonna send you away kind of thing
0: Very right, yeah not even like talk to you about it just get out of here
1: and then a few years later I think I was at my cousin's house and so my dad's brother has three daughters and uh so we were over there and me and the daughter that's closest to me in age were playing downstairs and i like saw some kind of like feminine body powder kind of thing and asked if i could wear it or try it on or whatever and she's like sure Mm -hmm. turns out later it was because it wasn't hers uh i found out when i talked to her about like later when i was coming out to her i was like oh that was your sister's that's why you didn't care about putting it on (laughs) and i'm all like happy because i smell nice and i'm just like so proud oh yeah and universally every single parent in the room is like what did you just do why do you smell like that no that is not for you that's for girls the boys and oh. girls are different that kind of thing yeah and so just those two were like the primaries of me trying and being reprimanded that early and then like maybe fourth third or fourth grade somewhere in there i remember being reprimanded for sitting like a girl <laughs> Basically, that teacher took it took it upon herself to make sure that if she ever saw me sitting with my legs crossed the wrong way, she would like smack me with a ruler or whatever kind of like oh no, like hard enough to hurt but her smack kind of thing. It was like nope, we told you about that. That's not how boys sit kind of thing. Yeah. and so it didn't take long for me to get the message and you know start sitting with my legs wide or whatever. Anyway,
0: right? Yeah, got a man spread when you're like age eight, of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh,
1: oh yeah, the other memory that was super early. And like maybe even before age six was like me hearing a Disney record of some kind. Like I don't enough of the details are foggy. I might be getting some of them wrong, but basically like Mickey Mouse falls overboard on, when he's on a ship and like a mermaid finds him and like saves him from drowning by turning him into not a mermouse or anything like that. Like I just my head headcanon was. He got to turn into a mer girl, like a, because that's what mermaids are, as girls. So therefore, he became uh-huh. a mermaid, and therefore, like magical transformation into girls was kind of like one of those early story memories that I like. I remember like one of the reasons I remember that is like I heard that record once, and then like tried to get get back like hear it again, and they were like, "No, we don't have that one anymore" or something. And, like I was like, eh.
0: "Oh, I love I love that vision though."
1: Oh yeah, indeed, um, right.
0: I also just I'm just thinking about these teachers and adults in your life who some of them like just parents of friends like they they don't even have a strong investment in you you know like you're not their kid and yet they're still so concerned about policing your gender expression and all of that it just It makes me think of how nowadays there are a lot of anti-trans people in the United States who go on and on about how the trans agenda is sort of to turn all kids trans and and sort of confuse kids into thinking they're trans. And it just it's one of those things where they're they're projecting so much because they're the ones who are obsessed with making sure that kids turn out cisgender, you know? Like they're the ones who are like policing kids' gender. And so it's just Yes. It, it's maddening.
1: <laughs> uh, so I think I might have been halfway through a uh, answer to something.
0: Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you were talking about Mickey Mouse being a mermaid, which I so love. Yeah, are yeah. <laughs> so
1: basically my early memory clusters of like wanting to be more feminine, being told no, kind of. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And or like, ooh, wow, there's like gender transgression of some kind in a story when there probably wasn't even. I kind of added it myself, I'm assuming. Sure. <laughs> but uh, that like oh, wait, gender or sex changes during stories and stuff was something that I kind of just kept latching on to. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how much longer after fourth grade or so that I really got introduced to the Oz mythos, like beyond just the movie, because I saw the movie when I was like
2: mm-hmm.
1: seven years old, eight years old or whatever for the first time, I think. It was really cool. But then once I like my brother and me started get it, collecting and getting a bunch of the other Oz books, mm-hmm. I sort of read them out of order. So, like, one of the first ones I read was the third book, Ozma of Oz, where Dorothy and Ozma meet for the first time. And there's like oblique reference to the fact that Ozma used to be a boy. What? Oh, wow. And then then I finally get a chance to read The Marvelous Land of Oz, the second book. And Dorothy's not a character at all. Like, the Tin Man and the Scarecrow are minor characters, but like, it's really about this boy named Tip who escapes from the wicked witch that was. uh, Keeping him captive, slash raising him, and goes on adventures. And towards the end of the book, finds out that when Princess Ozma of Oz was a baby, she was uh, taken away and like given to this witch to hide, so that uh, the Wizard of Oz could wit- could rule. And so she does magic and turns Ozma into a boy and names him Tip. And so Ozma at first is like, "Wait, I, I, I'm, I'm Tip. I'm not a girl. What are you talking about?" <laughs> and then. Like, does the thing, and then she's like, Oh, yeah, I got the my girl, and just like, and thereafter, she's uh, Ozma of Oz. And of course, in the next book, the one I read before that, Dorothy and Ozma meet, and mm-hmm. from I don't remember, like, what was I, like 12, 13, somewhere in there, it was just like, Oh, yeah, they're a couple, of course, they're a couple. <laughs> Look how much they talk about how they love each other, and a few books later, Ozma asks Dorothy to move in, and she U-Hauls her entire family into the
0: uh, palace with her. Holy crap. And... uh, I had no idea Dorothy's been a lesbian the whole time. Oh, yeah, like... Beautiful.
1: Yeah, like, Oz... The Oz books are, like, some great queer canon stuff. Holy crap. And one of the reasons why I figured this out years before I even figured out it was queer, one of the reasons why I've never had a problem with the word queer, Mm -hmm. as opposed to some friends of mine, who are gay mm-hmm. who got like really beat up to that word and like hate hearing it, it like nails on a chalkboard to them
2: yeah yeah
1: one of the reasons why i love it so much is because of the oz books where queer was just a word in common usage back yes. in the 1900s right you yes the good kind of strange basically or like that's why it's kind of like the, how it synthesizes my brain it's the good kind of weird
0: the good kind of weird i like
1: that and so yeah and there was also like there's something queer at the, uh, the lemonade stand or something queer, blah, 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 This little series of books that was like
2: mm.
1: probably published right before the word queer got claimed by the gay rights movement or whatever. But, uh-huh. but th- those were like kind of those early childhood memories of like, yeah, queer's a good word. Why would queer be bad? Why would it be bad to be queer?
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that.
1: <laughs> and so it was things like that where I would consume media where there might be queer coded characters, especially females. And I would like, zoom in like pick up on them or like be like oh wow i really like that character mm-hmm. just like basically those kinds of things i would like latch on to like say joe from facts of life but yeah but basically just like those characters that are like given to children to mm-hmm. exist with or like experience their stories of but are also a little bit gender transgressive in some way
2: mm-hmm.
1: i kind of like would always kind of focus on them and or would be annoyed when the girl would get together with a boy because I thought that she was a yes. girl or things like that. And just, it was like, like I said, that internal sense of rightness was that girls would be together. And that of course some boys and girls were together, but you know, the cool ones should be with the girls. <laughs> you know, I, I know. Like, yes. And so as I got older and started to really realizing what some of the stuff that was being said in the church I was growing up with, it's just started making less and less sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, why is this guy saying all these nice things? Mm -hmm. And then all these other people saying that he's God, but they mean all these mean things. And it just, Mm -hmm. it started to make less and less sense and be a greater degree of cognitive dissonance Mm -hmm. until like, it was a slow process over the years. Like, I definitely remember like, in middle school era being super Christian of like, wow, I'm so happy to be (laughs) like, yeah. Like into that, like red, kind of, wow, like early, late eighties, early nineties, like it's cool to be Christian kind of pop culture stuff, kind of stuff. And one of, one aspect of that actually helped me realize how I wasn't Christian later. Mm. There's this band new song. They had a song way back in the day called something about like, you can't, uh, a square peg and a round hole, or like basically the idea is that Jesus, everybody has a cross shaped hole in their heart and <laughs> that Jesus is the only thing that'll fit.
0: Ah, okay.
1: I like was like, oh, so does that mean I have a star shaped hole in my heart and that's why paganism fits me, but Christianity doesn't?
0: Oh, love it.
1: <laughs> it helped me understand that the reason why I was never really fully at home in Christianity, but paganism actually felt more real and vital to me in some way than. That faith i grown up in as a kid was because of that like oh I just my soul is of a different flavor than everybody else's who's really happy in Christianity yeah mine needs that communion with nature over people in a building and you know mo- polytheism versus monotheism and stuff like that so
2: yeah
0: yeah I really like that and that is I I believe that that there's no one religion or, or way to be spiritual that fits everybody. That just doesn't make sense when we look at the diversity of humanity. Yep. But yeah, so while you were still in sort of your, 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 I like Christian zone of being like, yes, Christianity is great. What was that sort of like? I know your church was a Baptist church. What sort of flavor of Baptist was it?
1: I mean, Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. Southern Baptist. It okay. was uh, my mom actually a secretary for the Southern Baptist Convention for a long time.
0: Mm.
1: The you know, the, basically the, the kind that was busy making sure everybody in the congregation knew that the ACLU was evil and Planned Parenthood, all about yeah. like, being a death cult to sacrifice babies sure, and that, that the uh, teachers' union was out to like corrupt children and just like the, the precursors to what we see being virulent everywhere today.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: there is some small part of me that feels a little bit guilty that I was not earlier around going with a bullhorn, going, "Look, these people are radicalizing themselves. Watch, pay attention." But I was just like, "Those people are just—they're doing their own thing. They are so confused and being left behind by history. It'll—it'll it'll, it'll, it'll all be okay." Whole nastiness of the last five years or so, six years or so. Did not expect it actually.
0: It, yeah, I, I feel that like sort of. Looking back and realizing where the seeds were, but just yes, sort of hoping, like, okay, they're just an insular thing.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. I actually went back to the church I grew up in February of last year. I, uh, my dad passed away in January of last year. And so, since they were living up in North Carolina when he died, there was like nobody in Georgia from the family except for me. So, I like went to the Georgia Memorial, basically. And, Just talking to a couple of the people in the church and then hearing one of the songs that they sang at his memorial, it was very clear that they had just, you know, hitched their train to the we are Christian soldiers that have to like rise together and like take vaccination for Christ and all that. Like it was very much just like along those lines of they didn't literally say we're going for the guns, but it kind of sort of sounded like they were going for the guns kind of thing. Yeah. It was a little weird,
0: I will admit. Yeah, and it, it's like you mentioned before that, like, they're following, Je- like, supposedly following Jesus, who is very, like, anti-military, has various points in his story where he tells his disciples, actually, we're not going to use swords, we're not going to hack off someone's ear, and yet somehow a lot of Christians have gotten in their minds this sort of, like, yeah, this militant, we've got to fight, yeah, it it's baffling, It kind of is. And yet it makes sense when you see how they're really sort of tied to white supremacy and all of that fun stuff.
1: Yeah. I, until some of the like abortion stuff got re kicked up and people Mm. started like talking about where the Christian coalition jumped on the abortion train and stuff and like how that came about, Mm -hmm. I did not know how tied to white supremacy that was and where it like went from one to the other. It was wow. I, I could see all the signs of it, and I, but I just didn't know exactly how explicit they were. Yeah,
0: it's like in a mystery story where you have all the clues, but you need that, the the detective to piece it together for you for it all to come clear.
1: Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's like basically that was the stew I was growing up in. And my earliest memories of the church were, oh, neat. It's a giant building with cool layout. And oh, cool. We like get to like go down to these little nursery rooms and like, read cool stories about people from long ago. And mm-hmm. it was only as I got older and started understanding some of the other stuff they were saying, and especially not what they were saying, but what was implied by what they were saying or like the logical extension of what they what they must mean if they said these things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so as I started going, so wait, if you say this, you're kind of saying this too. And do you realize that? And all these kinds of things and the universal response to that basically being... Don't question your elders, slash uh-huh. uh, that's not for us to understand, slash God works in mysterious ways, slash
0: yeah, you're too
1: young to understand, etc., etc. etc.
0: Yeah, all those super like condescending or just flat out unhelpful responses.
1: Yeah. And I think some of them were because the people were like didn't want to bother because it was a kid, but I think a lot of them were they just they had no idea either. They just
0: right, they didn't right. want to
1: admit how ignorant they were about why this was being said, about what didn't make sense
0: or whatever. Yeah, true. Yeah, like it's possible that they had that question at some point and they were told, you know, yeah, God works in mysterious ways, we can't know. And so that's what they they pass on as well.
1: Yeah. And so as more and more of those started racking up, and especially as I started realizing how much more conservative the culture that was raising me was becoming as I was getting older. Like it wasn't just that I was becoming more aware of how conservative they were. It felt like they were being semi-radicalized while i was watching kind of thing yeah and as i was figuring out how little i had in common with all this it seemed like they were like even if not like becoming firmer believers in jesus because i think i don't think i ever saw a moment in my parents life where they seemed to believe in jesus less than 1000 percent at any given moment kind of thing mm. uh but just like that as the moral majority kind of picked up steam and the engagement with politics and everything yeah, And that's another thing It's like, my dad's dad was the person who started the Republican Party in one of the counties in Georgia. And Holy crap. my dad and my grandpa were, like, multi-time chair people of the Republican Party in my county and, you know, the county I grew up in, et cetera. And so, like, I basically came from Southern Baptist conservative Republicans. Yeah. And just as I got older, I kept realizing more and more how much I didn't fit with these people. Yeah. And in high school is where I really started realizing I just can't continue identifying this way or like with these people because Mm -hmm. this is some toxic stuff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And like, I have, these little like catchphrases I say about myself sometimes. Like uh, one of the things I used to say or still say, to be honest, is Newt Gingrich made me a Democrat (laughs) because I was raised as a Republican. Yeah. And I was starting to figure out that they were not all great. But then the contract on America and the whole like response to Bill Clinton and everything mm-hmm. made me realize that the party I was raised in could not possibly be worthy of my support right. if they were going to support someone like Newt Gingrich. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I then looked at the Democratic Party because that was kind of the only other option, it seemed.
0: Right. Yeah. Another binary <laughs> in life.
1: Exactly. Yeah. As a, after a couple of years of Bill Clinton, I was like, okay, well, Bill Clinton has now made me an independent who will always have to vote Democrat because the Republicans are culturally evil.
0: Mood. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) As I got older and learned more, I learned it was basically just like the democratic leadership council slash corporate wing of the democratic party that I found so distasteful. And there are lots of, you know, proud Democrats that are like very much the kind of Democrat I would be able to consider myself to be. So I now kind of reconvert inverted back to being a official democrat especially (laughs) since the two-party system shows no signs of going away anytime soon
0: i know yeah it's kind of funny how like yeah you were assigned republican at birth but effectively yeah (laughs) shopped around and you're like okay democrats the only other option oh no okay fine this flavor of democrat is fine okay Um, and
1: there are several
0: corollaries
1: or like companions to that phrase like uh capitalist made me a socialist hmm. like mm-hmm. for a long time I was very much like yeah the free market and then over the course especially of my like mid-20s and later and I was like wow these people are just not going to ever be okay unless they either rule the world or are dead so we need to like do something besides just right. let capitalism run unfettered and, and uh hey now that I like started realizing that maybe not every single thing about capitalism is true then maybe, some of these things about socialism aren't true as well. And, oh, wow, look at all these socialist countries who yeah. were in Europe that are actually doing very well. And wait a minute. And so like it was like that pebble of, well, okay, these people can't be trusted. I need to look elsewhere yeah. that kind of started it.
0: Yeah. What were, What were some of your sort of like emotions and stuff as you sort of moved from growing up in a place where you were sort of not allowed to question anything to realizing you had all these questions and different ideas about religion and politics and all sorts of things. Uh, so
1: some of it I can't remember, but like I was saying, there are large swaths of my, my childhood that are just so vague. And mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if a decent chunk of that was the part of my brain that realized how bad it would be if I were trans, kept just shoving down or suppressing or making me... Right. Edit memories of some of the times where I had especially strong desires to be a girl or to wear makeup or things like that. Yeah. So who knows exactly how I was feeling on some of this stuff? Other stuff was very much just kind of a simple confusion and befuddlement mm-hmm. as to what was wrong with everyone else. Like I never mm-hmm. felt super much like I was broken. Like I never really got that. I got very much that I was different than everyone. Yeah. And I needed to research to figure out how I was different and quote unquote, what was wrong with me in their view so that I could understand how I was different and everything. Uh I never had that sense of I need to change to become more like them. I just felt like I didn't have the language to understand what I was if I wasn't one of them kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of feel sometimes like my neurodivergence saved my life in some (laughs) ways because... It was just so alien to me that they could be right, Yeah, that it just never is a real, like, I didn't ever have that, no, 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 I can't be trans because then God would send me to hell. Or, no, 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 I can't mm-hmm. really want to, like, be a girl because then that would mean these bad things. No, the thing that I was afraid of was that my parents would think that bad things about me erroneously. Like, they would get the wrong impression. And, like, I remember that being a very distinct thing is that I would not let myself do the feminine things that I wanted to do while still thinking of myself as a man because – or really, boy, at that point. Because I remember thinking, if I use that folder I like or you pick up that glitter thing or whatever, like, if I do the things that I want to do, people are going to get the wrong idea about me and think I'm gay. Mm -hmm. And I don't want them to get the wrong idea. Like, there's nothing wrong with being gay. But if but that, yeah you're going around presenting yourself as gay and everybody's taking you as gay, but you're not gay, then that's like, A, a little bit stolen valor, and B, a little bit like, I I, I want to date girls. If girls think I'm gay right. yeah. then it's going to be harder to them. So I don't want to, like, make myself look gay.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. It's not wrong to be gay. It's just incorrect for me. Like, yeah, that makes total sense.
1: And so I had that whole, like, I can't exist the way that it made us most comfortable without giving people the wrong impression and then at a certain point that just became unconscious self-policing yeah and you don't think about it as much anymore and uh, there were like brief flashes of oh wait maybe my you know subconscious trans being is going to break through the warden brains like uh logic loops and figure out how to like get the message across that hey you basically pay attention you really are trans don't listen to 70s science written in the 80s kind of stuff (laughs) and yeah and right around the same time i was wearing skirts around the house never actually leaving the house with them because that would send the wrong message but uh Like, just when I was comfortable at home, it was
0: because I was wearing a skirt. Yeah, so so being able to be yourself when you're alone. But but really, at that point, strongly questioning my gender. I had kind of as a permanent
1: idea for a long time, just, yes, it is possible for people who are born... Looking like men to look like a woman, if they have a bazillion dollars and go to <laughs> France for surgery, and you know that kind of thing, like just like it, it was so far outside any potentiality of ever in my lifetime I could do, yeah. That why even mm. acknowledge it because it's just going to make it worse, kind of thing, you know.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So those were all kind of like looped into one of the reasons it took me so long to come out to myself mm-hmm. slash acknowledge it.
0: Yeah, is just not even being able to imagine it being possible for you in in so many different ways. I really like what you mentioned though about like your neurodivergent sort of saving your life when it comes to not sort of like internalizing sort of the ideas that yeah something's broken about you or that God's going to send you to hell or stuff like I really like that if if there's anything you want to expand on that because like that's how I feel too that like for me being autistic and having like my brain working the way it does just like the certain I guess flavor of autism of um not just like taking the status quo at its word and what people are saying like is what has allowed me to keep from uh falling into some of the like that sort of self-loathing and stuff
1: yeah for me it definitely is like multi-layered throughout my transness in some interesting ways mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so one of the things is that just like I was saying like some of their ideas that just seem so patently wrong like the fact that god doesn't like or did not create himself homosexuality and you know that kind of thing yeah it just didn't make sense when i was a kid i was like what do you what do you, god made everything there's like <laughs> examples of homosexuality all throughout nature and right. like what, yes. what,
0: what what is wrong with you people like that's a good point because sometimes christians like if you say like yeah no like god made it so that some people are gay they'll be like oh no that's like a result of the fall right that's sin it's like okay well Penguins didn't fall, penguins don't sin, and penguins are often gay. So what now? Like
1: Indeed. And so like I was saying, capitalists made me a socialist mm. and New Gingrich mm. made me a Democrat. Well, Christianity made me pagan because yeah. <laughs> the version of Christianity that I was presented and and saw for the first thirty plus years of my life was all about the, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the right. Father except by him. Oh, and not just him, but our version of him. Those other people are going to send you to hell because they're going to lie to you about what Jesus said, kind of stuff. Like right. very much like the "our way or the highway." There is only one size fits all, and everybody who doesn't actually want to fit it is just going to go to hell themselves. And it's their fault, kind of thing. That was the version of Christianity I was presented with growing up, and that was not going to work for my brain. Like that's just not how reality could have possibly been created by a being with the qualities that you say god has yeah so one of the things i was probably gonna say earlier and then forgot to (laughs) was that ADHD. one of the things that i did not know about it Mm -hmm. that explains things that i do with my own brain and have had to do for all my life is obviously like it's really hard for us to deal with something that doesn't fit like cognitive dissonance is really difficult for me to get over Mm-hmm. And so I just headcanon things all the time. <laughs> Long before I ever heard that term headcanon, yeah. I was just like, oh, when somebody says this, it doesn't make sense. So they obviously mean this or.
0: Yeah, my headcanon is that this is what they really mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it it couldn't possibly make sense.
0: Oh, yeah. I am i don't have ADHD, but I'm autistic. And I, you know, they're definitely like cousin neurotypes of also having that sort of cognitive dissonance drives me up a wall and wanting things to make sense and for people not to counter like contradict themselves and that a lot of of Christianity is full of those kinds of contradictions so I totally get why if that's the kind you're raised in that's like of course you're gonna leave like God is love but God also hates gay people and all of that nonsense yeah like pretty much exactly it's a lot (laughs)
1: So another funny thing about like my journey, especially towards acceptance and everything was, um, I remember distinctly my mom making it clear that uh, Catholics were not really Christians because they were idol worshippers when we were kids. <sighs> yeah. So then after I figured out I was definitely pagan mm-hmm. and was definitely not Christian anymore in way or form, mm-hmm. my brother came out to my parents as Catholic. Hell yes. it he Figured out <laughs> that if the Catholic Church really was the church, you know, founded like by the followers of Jesus and everything, then it's it behooves us, the sure. followers of Jesus, to like go into the Catholic Church and like try to fix the Catholic Church if it's not quite right. But you know, from the inside, mm-hmm. and basically, as I talked to him more a little bit later, he kind of like there were multiple reasons, but sure, that was yeah. like what I remember hearing them. And the fact that my parents did not react with any kind of condemnation or. Oh. Any uh-huh. kind of like, well, just don't bring that weird stuff in here, or any kind of like, just basically almost nothing negative. Like, oh, wow, yeah. most like they were definitely like, well, you know, we don't agree with you on that, but you know, sure, we know you and we know that you're still have a good heart and you're, you know, you love Jesus and everything. So we're just going to yeah, look I'm look glad on you, however, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad they were able to to see that and have that reaction because yeah. that is that is sadly uncommon in the kind of like. Extremely conservative Christian groups that
1: yeah, so once I saw that my brother came out as Catholic and my parents did not react with shame and horror, yeah, that gave me not immediately, but you know, led up to pretty quickly me realizing that it was okay if I came out to my parents as pagan.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and so part of my path towards paganism was meeting the girl that would go on to become my wife and then my ex-wife and now one of my best friends. Mm. Uh, and uh, she was a self-described kitchen witch who you know kind of was an eclectic pagan of Uh various different aspects of various different things but you know basically she primarily identified as a kitchen witch Mm -hmm. she was the one that first like asked if I had ever worn a skirt or would like to wear one and I was like yeah I think good and so like I started wearing a skirt around the house with her and everything and just was like comfortable that way
0: oh that's so nice
1: and so when I was like, I want to go with you and come out to my parents. I don't want to just go by myself and come out to them. You to be there with me. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay. And then, I, and I want to wear a skirt. And she was like, no, are you crazy? It'll be a terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah, like and I was yeah. like, no an idea. It'll be a visual cue that their assumptions about me are incorrect. And I kind of like it'll be like almost like a visual break of like, oh wait, nope. This is different. Yeah.
0: You're like, I'm just going to hit it, hit them with all of it at once. <laughs>
1: but that was back in the year 2000, 16 years before okay. I was admitting it to myself that I was actually wanting to wear that skirt for more than week. It was trans. Exactly. I was mm-hmm. just like still pretty mm-hmm. deep in denial because, hey, I had an awesome hot uh, fiance at the time. You know, this whole like being a straight dude seemed to be working okay. I might as well keep, I keep that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So anyway, 16 years later, I come out to my parents basically in the same room Mm
2: -hmm.
1: not wearing a skirt initially at first uh at like basically at a dinner we had a family dinner and I went down and like partway through the dinner like towards the uh, second half said hey did y'all ever wonder if I was gay when I was a kid (laughs) and my dad didn't really say much almost the entire evening and my mom reacted with like shocked like confusion like why would we think that of course not Uh. and I was like huh well I got called a gay a lot, so I kind of wondered if I was gay. I just kind of let that sit for a minute. And then I, you know, hit puberty and realized what what it meant. And I realized I didn't like boys like that, so I knew I wasn't gay. But then it turned out I was, because I'm, I'm trans and I'm a girl, or basically like something like that. I basically just, like, used, turns out I am gay because I'm a lesbian, kind of, with my, like, for coming out to them as the initial icebreaker kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and over the course of the next however many hours we were talking, I reminded them that I had worn a skirt to their house when I came out to them as pagan and they reacted with confusion because apparently they themselves had entirely blocked out that experience Oh wow! of me wearing a skirt and breaking down how and why I was a pagan and not a Christian anymore and had been for a number of years and I had not told them yet because I didn't know how to slash wasn't sure they would accept me, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah. And I was like, Oh wow. Like no, me, Realizing that I was trans and learning how my brain helped hide that fact from me for so many years really taught me so much about how brains are super powerful and kind of scary instruments sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. it's really amazingly possible for them to do seemingly impossible things, including just wipe out an entire afternoon and a probably fairly traumatic for them occurrence of like me going on and rubbing their noses in the fact that their child was now going to hell and was happy about it, apparently, and all this stuff. And so they just apparently couldn't accept that. And like, I know that on multiple occasions, me and my mom had conversations, especially over the phone, about how I was not going to go back to church because my church was the woods and not a building and how I heard the voice of the goddess in my head and not the voice of God and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's it's okay, mom, right? Yeah. I'm still a good person. I'm still basically being the kind of person jesus wouldn't want me to be i just don't also have to worry about the hating the gay people or anything you know right and so once i like you know did realize that i was in fact queer and was like telling them about this and the fact that they had just kind of blocked out that first coming out to them yeah it just it kind of like reinforced some of those lessons i was already learning about how my own brain had done things
0: yeah that is wild how how brains work like that um so beyond beyond sort of their like denial that a previous conversation had even happened how did they sort of feel about you telling them like oh yeah i'm actually a lesbian
1: um so again like it was very much that i'm so glad that my parents are my parents and not another set of christian republican parents because mm-hmm. they very much were like we think you have been misled by the liberal media we want you to go see a christian counselor and we are going to pray for you, but we're very glad you told us this, that you're struggling with this and that, you know, like we love you no matter what, we want you to make sure you understand that we love you no matter what, and we're not going to like reject you. And one of the things I talked to them about with that night was the fact that the reason I was even telling them this at all, instead of like just ghosting them and moving across the country (laughs) or something was because I had realized that they were going to have this kind of response to me. Like I pretty much Not exactly the words, but kind of figured exactly what was going to happen that night. Mm, What mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily expect was seven months later, my mom to give me her mother's feminine accessories that were too femme for her. Oh. Like, it's just like all these little sashes and stuff and like, whatever, like uh, scarves and shawls and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because I think another way that I was incredibly lucky that my parents were my parents is that they were both to a greater or lesser extent, gender nonconforming themselves.
2: Mm, okay.
1: My dad was a big old geek who was not a particularly large sports fan. Like the reason he paid attention to sports at all was so that he could make small talk with clients because he was sold insurance, and he was like, you know, I need to be able to like sound like a normal human being and talk about sports. Mm-hmm. And when we were in high school, he said to us, "I realized I've never actually." Made y'all sit down and watch a Super Bowl, so we're gonna have to do that, so I can like feel like a man or something like that. Like, oh. didn't think words, obviously, <laughs> but it was obviously that kind of. He all of a sudden realized he'd been a bad father. Oh my gosh! And so we all had like sat down, and both of us were complaining, like we don't want to do this. Why are you making us do this? And like not even time We did not even make it to halftime <laughs> before he admitted that it was a dumb idea, and we just all went our separate ways.
0: <laughs> He's like, okay.
1: And my mom was like fairly young and early in my life was like, you know, I'm just gonna go to like the the. Bob, like short, short haircut cut, and she only wore dresses like at special occasions. And you could kind of tell she was not super happy getting them. And she just, mm-hmm. like, she was kind of like more like the country version of what it's okay to be a girl. I, like, you can, it's okay to like, you know, <laughs> do a little bit of work and like wear uh, jeans and you know, like she was definitely very much a woman and had a lot of those program from birth kind of things that if you're a woman, you're supposed to do this kind of stuff as well. Yeah. But also she was not. So fully committed to that 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 was the only view of like I, I saw multiple kinds of femininity on display just by watching my yeah. I guess is a good way of saying it yeah so yeah yeah I was very blessed to have my parents and so one of the unfortunate parts of all this is that by the time I was realizing it myself my dad had already started showing the first signs of some kind of dementia that wasn't quite clear yet exactly what kind and so. Over the course of the next several years, as I was figuring more and more out and being able to more and more have the kind of conversations with my parents that I would would like to be able to, he was getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse. So that by the time I felt like I could fully better explain some things and like when I was telling them I was on uh, hormones for the first time, which was basically Thanksgiving of 2018. Mm-hmm. So I told them at the beginning of that Thanksgiving week and then at the end of that Thanksgiving week, uh, they were like talking about how we didn't react very strongly then. We want to let you know we don't approve and we think it's dangerous for you and it's unhealthy and you should, you know, be monitored by doctors and everything. And I was explained that actually I, what they were talking about was it's making me as unhealthy as women are <laughs> compared to like cancer rates and stuff is not making me more healthy than women are right so it's just you know it's even me out basically yeah it's correcting a problem it's, it's not not if you know i am under medical care don't worry kind of thing right and that was basically the last conversation i had with my dad at all about transness okay. that was anything other than vulnerable. that was giving up in frustration because there was a cognition gap there yeah. it was just like yeah. Un- unbridgeable
0: yeah that's that's tough
1: when he passed away at the beginning of january of last year it kind of put a pause on any kind of conversation I was having with my family about it and super inconveniently in some ways just before that like less than two months before that I had finally legally changed my name Mm -hmm. and so the way I got to tell my mom that I had a new name was telling her in the wake of my dad dying and she would need to be putting the proper legal name on all the documents right yeah, which did not include any of his name anymore because one of the reasons that it took me a while to change my name was I did not realize for a while that my last name had been a sticking point basically, and one of the reasons it took me a while to figure that out is because, like I say, I'm really lucky. I have my fi- parents. I really love my dad. I really love my mom. I'm really happy to be related to the people I'm related to, generally mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. But there were several reasons why theoretically or th- basically like in a, in post game analysis looking back i think i have several strong reasons why that's probably one of the big chunks of why i felt like a stumbling block for keeping it as part of my name one is that it is also the first name of a man like it's just one of those mm-hmm. last names it's also a first name that's yeah uh-huh and also while i love my dad and have no problems with my dad like basically the only complaints i've ever had about my dad is that he his worldview didn't allow him his love to translate the most healthy way is yeah. is the only real way to say it is anything other than the pure positivity that I generally feel. Mm-hmm. His dad, however, we never got along at all. And there were multiple problems in times. Like basically the first time I ever was in therapy of any kind was because of my uh whatever there was adverse relationship with him. Especially since we were living with him at the time, as we were getting building the house next door and everything. So, just generally speaking, I had such a negative reaction to that that I think that that was a lingering thing of it being a little bit like I was never going to be satisfied with any name that still had that name, uh, his name attached to it, you know?
0: Yeah, totally.
1: And yeah. part of the reason why I was as comfortable as I was giving it up is because A, I'm a divorced woman. What divorced woman still has their uh, birth name or whatever, mm-hmm. but also. Mm-hmm because like I have been told all my life I look like my dad like it, I have on multiple occasions kind of glanced sideways in the mirror and seen my cousins like my female cousins now that I've been on home runs for a little while in the mirror and like well that's weird and like just I have enough Henry traits in me that it's never going to be a question as to whether I am a Henry or not as far as that goes yeah yeah and likely likewise for my mom's side of the family basically every female in that side of the family is tall like Almost six foot, if not six foot. Uh And so it is not that weird for me to be the size I am, 5'11 and a girl. Mm. Like, I just am exactly the same height, basically, as my cousin, who's six months Uh younger than me. Uh And so I, like, in multiple ways, was very blessed to come from the family I was, but still did not even realize that I needed to cosmetically change that connection through the legal name change. Yeah. And... So Morgan is actually my on my birth certificate. Morgan has been my middle name all my life. Okay. Uh-huh. And that has been help, helpful as being a trans person and saying, oh, would you call me? I actually use my
0: middle name. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's already neutral. And
1: like, it's, a, it's a reasonable thing that people who are not uh, queer at all will do yes. is just use their middle name. Yeah. And so it was a lot easier to get people to shift to that. And I definitely admit that part of the reason why i felt the need to keep it was so that i didn't ever have to have that conversation again with large swaths of my life i could just put, call me morgan and still my name I, and like i really do what like <laughs> uh-huh. one of the parts of like myth that i really bonded to early on was morgana lafay I'm like nice just, yeah i've enjoyed having that name all my life i enjoy that i get to keep it yeah but my first name i crafted myself basically literally and my last name Fits me in so many different ways. I cannot literally cannot keep track of all of them at the same time. Like every time I try to tell somebody all the different reasons, Star <laughs> is the best last name for me. Uh huh. I lose track of like three or four of the different reasons and realize later I'm like, oh no, there's also this and this and this. And yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would love to hear some of some of the reasons. I love hearing people's name stories. Well,
1: let's go ahead and start with the first name since this first. Uh,
0: yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I said, I had the symbol that I sent you that I came up with in like 1990. Mm-hmm. doodling in biology class
0: yeah and um for listeners i'll be sure to include the various symbols um in the show notes and stuff like a link to them and that
1: not that picture but a picture of my tattoo on my arm of that symbol is my icon or avatar but a picture on instagram so oh nice uh-huh but anyway i always had like a bazillion different little doodles that i would sometimes repeat and stuff. And one was that little like circle with the n with a wavy n with a line through it. And one was like a Z with a line through it. And then neither of them were like normal, what a normal letter would look like. They were kind of stylized a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then one day I just like put them together and looked at it and was like, whoa, mm-hmm. that, that's going to be my signature. And it just was my signature from then on. The point is that I had used that as my like, I would e- either put it in between my letters or in between my first and last name when I had to. Like actually officially sign my name, or I would just use it like when I'm like writing a letter, and somebody knows what that symbol means, they know it's me. I just would just put the symbol. Uh huh. Uh uh-huh. And a couple of years after that, Prince decided to change his name to a suspiciously similar symbol, and I got real personally like I had a personal grudge against
0: Prince for <laughs> years. Oh, Prince, and I, he's he's blissfully unaware of. Your grudge against him and your yeah <laughs> exactly exactly parasocial relationships yeah. before the word was existed. Um, but
1: then a few years after that, I was playing this game Magic Candle Two, and I came across this like hidden character out in the woods called Nazim, and he was like good at everything but not great at anything, which is my favorite kind <laughs> of character to play. Basically, like the jack of all trades, master yes. of none. Yes, and yes. so he became. Not only my favorite character in that game, but I started naming my main characters in other games Nazim if they were the kind of character that was going to be able to like be good at everything. Yeah, like those kind of games where you can like literally master every class as one with one person. <laughs> they, I would always name the male character Nazim if, if they were like the main na- male or whatever. Uh huh. And a few years after I started doing that, I just it suddenly dawned on me that Nazim was spelled out within that symbol I'd been using for years before I ever knew the word Nazim. Yeah. And I was like, "That's so cool! Oh my goodness, my symbol is my name, and it's always been name. That's so cool." And then flash forward a few more years, and I start playing Dragon Warrior Seven for the first time. And oh, neat! You can name your character up to eight symbol or eight eight letters. I'll put in name because this is one of the games where you can like learn all the classes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Dragon Warrior Seven or Dragon Quest Seven or whatever is famous for being one of the longest games like in between starting the game and when you get into your first battle and like first like are done with all the running around story stuff uh-huh it's like over an hour of just running back and forth and like talking to people before you go to where your monsters are for the first time so i get in a battle and i realized that they like, let you name your character with eight letters they only show you the first four mm-hmm. when you're in battle and i never saw until then that nazim the M. That spells Nazi, and that's oh, not cool at all. No. And so I instantly turned off the game and rebooted and started name my character completely different and just <laughs> went through all that again. And just like immediately did it. I was like, nope, not gonna be. You're like, to this see. is not.
0: Yeah, I'm not playing
1: with this. No. And so once I came out to myself, and I was like, oh no, my symbol spells a boy name. I can't have that be my name anymore. But boy, and all this stuff. And it was a couple of years before I all of a sudden was like, wait a minute, you
0: can anagram this
1: yeah this doesn't just spell Nazim. it also spells oh look it spells I-N-Z-A it spells Enza which is the name of my favorite version of Dr. Fate from the comics that's awesome Mm. Mm -hmm. oh wait I remember you can anagram Enza into Nazi just like you can you know like
0: yeah you're not a fan of no
1: (laughs) oh wait nope I just like kind of again. I kind of drew my eyes out a teeny bit and saw that the I was also just the bottom part of a Y. y. So Have yeah. y so Y N Z A is my name, mm-hmm. and you still pronounce it Enza.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it is amusing how many people say Winza now. Like like. Oh, interesting. Word. But yeah, I so I like I say I crafted it
0: myself. It means mm-hmm. a little bit more to me than my middle name, even though I love my middle name too. I love how like unique it is, and that it has this. Story that sort of tells your own like journey over time in in your name is very cool
1: indeed indeed that's one of the reasons why I don't just say I came up with it myself. I say I crafted it myself.
0: I love that yeah
1: so as far as the last name goes i uh didn't like I say it wasn't even on my, my radar that that last name was a problem when I was trying like forty three different <laughs> versions that I kept adding names and changing middle names and like yeah and then well during lockdown, I had just ended a role-playing game because of lockdown because maybe people couldn't come over and i didn't want to try to like figure out how to do it on virtual and everything okay, but then yeah. a friend of mine who had moved away but had been one of my favorite game masters was starting a virtual game of earth on uh-huh. and so oh neat i haven't played earth on in years let's play and so i created a character and joined it and then he was going to use roll 20 and i had to create get another user profile and just like like automatic writing i just write down my name is enza morgan star all one word like like morning star but morgan star oh, huh. Uh-huh. and it's like as soon as i typed it in it was hitting enter i was like oh my god is that my name like i just like it just <laughs> instantly like, broke apart and i was like and then i just like sat with it for a second and then sat with it for a minute yeah and then i was like oh my goodness i think that's my name and i just like yeah it, it and then i started realizing oh my goodness star is such a perfect name For this Mm -hmm. reason, and this reason, and this reason, and this reason, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, A few of them are that my basically, like, I have a casual interest in astrology, maybe is a good way of saying it. My agnostic lay paganism years have weighed heavily enough on me that I find it really hard to believe the like party line about astrology, Mm. but also I've seen way too much be true in it and not just the kind of stuff that is easily dismissed as overly broad statements kind of stuff. Okay. Uh-huh. Especially when you get away from the like newspaper versions of astrology and you start looking at yeah. the way the natal charts work and compared to with current things and everything. So there's just some interesting patterns and parallels there that I don't fully understand. And I don't think humanity has enough knowledge about the universe to understand. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's like any kind of hard and fast thing. It's just, it gives you interesting insights. Yeah. But especially it like lets you flavor and... Color and add an extra little like layer of neatness onto reality to a certain extent. Yeah. Like, just like, oh, wow, we're all fire signs in the room right now, or <laughs> kind of things like that. And just, right. the bits of tricks and stuff. And so the stars have always been kind of one of my early entries into not being a pure Christian kind of mm-hmm. thing. Of mm-hmm. like, like, even my early days, I was like, I don't really believe astrology, but there's some neat stuff to it. And especially like Chinese astrology of like the, like, I love being a rabbit. Nice. Uh huh. And, at a certain point, I was like trying to convince everybody to dress up as the combination of their sun and moon signs. Like so basically, like I was gonna be an archer rabbit because I was Sagittarius rabbit. Ah, ah, and fun scorpio scorpion dragons and all kinds of stuff. And then we never actually like got together and actually made costumes and did it before we all moved away from each other. But and like the star tarot card is has always been one of my favorite, you know, cards of the tarot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last one is that I have a holy symbol that I've sent you, the Heshket which i'll really talk about in a little bit here but
2: mm-hmm. the
1: other real holy symbol to me that actually comes from somebody else ever like the thing that i didn't create that is a super important symbol to me is the pentacle
2: mm-hmm.
1: of mm-hmm. you know the five-pointed like the witchy star yeah that's pointed upright and everything yeah. that is one of my holy symbols and uh, so the fact that my last name kind of like is a mention of my holy symbols neat so
0: yeah yeah i love that so yeah i would if you don't mind like on the topic of the pentacle what is it what is it traditionally said to mean and then what part of that resonates with you
1: so like the way it was first broached to me was it is basically referring to the elements and the fifth element of spirit like it's okay each of the points is supposed to be one of the elements and then the fifth when the upper point is the spirit or whatever and i cool from like early childhood was reading role-playing game books and like fantasy series and stuff where like elements were like an important part of the magic or the world or like the way the cosmology worked was the elements and stuff Mm -hmm. and so that connection to the elements like definitely like was one of the things that caught me in my early pagan days and like proto-pagan days and stuff uh especially over the whole christianity turning it into an evil symbol when it wasn't kind of thing i know and the whole like tweaking the noses of the overly devout kind of thing of the people that are self-righteous and like yeah my holy symbol scares you yes because god that i don't even believe in is what you've patterned your devil after Mm -hmm. it's like it's just so silly you know
0: yeah it feels like like with the word queer it's a very queer thing to take a symbol that like was first twisted to like people took it and are like this means something bad and you're like no actually it actually it means something good and it's powerful to me so I'm gonna use it too bad for you like yeah indeed
1: I had a little list of things to like check at the end to make sure I got everything and there's a couple that I never got to okay one of the questions you asked me in the outline was now that you have heard like you because you mentioned like having heard the podcast like showed you that there could be a queer reading of christianity which you didn't even know about or whatever and you were asked like Uh how now that you've heard about this is that healing for you or whatever and my response was basically um maybe yes and no not really kind of because sure it is just so like my experience with christianity left me so unable to engage with christianity as a viable religion for queer people Mm -hmm. And yet I know multiple queer Christians, and yet I know that that the teachings of Christ can make a very valid and queer-friendly teaching, like, like philosophy and religion and everything, but I see so little of the active, constant, using the media to paint, the people who use the word Christian the most as obviously unchristian in so many ways and antichrist like and all these things. Yeah. And yeah. Basically like doing that, like if we're gonna use the term Christian, we have to spend 25 hours a day, eight days a week, making sure that everybody knows that those other people cannot possibly be the kind of Christians they say that they are because this is what Jesus said, this is what they're doing. This is what the blah, blah blah, all this kind of stuff. And it feels like there is so little of that going on. That that's one of the reasons why I didn't know there was much more than vague, vaguely liberal Christians somewhere. Maybe that was kind of like my understanding of Christianity and the liberal end of Christianity before I joined the EU. Mm-hmm. And then I started meeting some like people who consider themselves goddess worshippers and Christians, mm-hmm. and that was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And then I started listening to your show, and like it was like wow. Like I don't even remember exactly which one of the first episodes it was, but it was something about a like, queer we reading of Christ or something like that. Uh-huh. And it literally almost broke my brain. I was like, wait, <laughs> what? Yeah, you can use Christ as a valid figure that if he's not blonde and with blue eyes. Oh like,
0: Lord, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like it's such a alien version of, you know, like and but it was so like that was healing. Just like mm. realize that it was possible to take the same stew I'd been seeped in yeah. and do something healthy with it. That was very healthy, mm-hmm. but then it led me back to that. But those people, though, like, like the fact that that is right. what ninety nine percent of people think of and expect and understand fair, yeah. And yeah. if Christian means the people that would rather have a despot in power and destroy democracy than let people have access to medical care for their for their bodies and of their own selves and stuff. like the people that are like out there saying ridiculous stuff, <laughs> such as, Jesus wore pants, or... And Jesus was white. It's just, yeah. oh my goddess! So I just, I can't wrap my brain around the idea that somebody who believes something vaguely like me would still use that term for themselves because the other thing... Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard terms like Jesus freaks and, like, the Jesus people and various <laughs> things like that. Basically people who were, like, we really are a fan of Christ. We're not a fan of Christianity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And like those mm-hmm. kind of rebrandings and like little subcommunes and stuff like that. I heard about them growing up and I thought that was kind of neat, but also like they weren't going far enough. And then I went far enough and then I was fine. Yeah. But kind of reengaging with people like you and a few other queer Christians. I know it does kind of baffle me exactly how that cognitive dissonance can be squared.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, like, it's definitely something that I still struggle to, like, articulate and, like, sort of, you're right, like, there is a lot of, like, cognitive dissonance in it. And, like I mentioned before, like, like you, I hate cognitive dissonance. I don't know, for me, it's sort of part of why I still use the term Christian, even though I do know of people who, yeah, like, refuse to use it for themselves and and instead just call themselves Jesus followers or things like that, is because... I worry that if I were to try and distance myself from the really really shitty Christians, that it would be it would go too far into the like saying like I'm not like those people, I'm one of the good ones, and therefore I'd be refusing to look at where I do, where I am part of the problem if that makes sense, uh-huh,
1: yeah, it does actually it makes
0: a lot of sense, wow, yeah, so that's a big part of it for me, why I still stick to the term Christian that to do otherwise, I think part of it, if this makes sense it would remind me a lot of fellow white people who refuse to call themselves white. I think, yep, yep. Like, I get that the reason you're uncomfortable with being called white, and, like, I get, like, as a white person who's had to deal with my own, like, stuff is like, because then I have to acknowledge that I have white privilege, that I am benefiting from things that I don't deserve, you know, I haven't done anything to earn it, but I'm benefiting from white supremacy, whether I like to or not. And that does make me very uncomfortable. But taking that discomfort, and instead of saying, okay, then I need to figure out how to fight racism, how to fight white supremacy, how to use my privilege where I can, if instead I say, well, actually, I'm just not white, that's not going to help things, I am Christian in that i I go to a church that is a Christian church. I got my my education at a Christian seminary and I follow Jesus and do a lot of like y things. It means if I'm going to call myself Christian, I'm being honest with the fact that that comes with a lot of privilege that I need to grapple with and not pretend I don't have because if I'm going to pretend I don't have it, I'm not going to deal with the problems with within that, and yeah, there's so much like there are days when I do want to just leave Christianity behind because it is so intense, entang- like to never go into any church again, even the ones that are working to undo a lot of the, of the crap because it's so entangled in nationalism and it's per- like, it's so hard to get away from it all. There are lots of times when I would rather just walk away, but for me, I am just so, yeah, there's so much that resonates in the beliefs in the Trinity of of like divinity as a Trinity, and in the specific way of God becoming incarnate and Jesus, and sort of like that. I I can't leave it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I, I hope that makes sense, and I appreciate you asking the questions and like giving me a second to talk about it because I think it's something I'm still wrestling with a lot. But yeah, like it has
1: been something that I have wondered, but not really had the opportunity to ask in a situation like this kind of thing. Where like yeah i don't know yeah the uh and one other thing i think i wanted to talk about was that uh just kind of like a more philosophical language thing about like queerness and yeah uh transgender and things like as how big an umbrella term are they basically and i'm fairly radically uh open as far as things go like i
2: mm-hmm.
1: understand transgender to mean you do not identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Right. So one of the things that just has never made sense to me is the people who don't think non-binary people count as trans and the non-binary people who think that they don't want to be part of the trans community and things like that. Yeah. All of that just confuses me. Same. Because A, (laughs) we're getting all this, we're all getting the same hate for the same reason. Exactly. Yeah. And B is like, there are so many times where my own, gender journey has included points where it's really hard for me to say is this because i'm a trans woman is this because i'm very much just gender iconoclastically (laughs) different and like in my own flavor of Uh non-binary or is this it doesn't really matter because it's kind of all of them and none of them Mm -hmm. so transgender big umbrella term Mm -hmm. and i think it is a little sad i understand why but i think it's a little sad that we have removed from our lexicon the term transsexual okay because after having talked to enough trans people i see that there is a legitimate and real distinction between someone like me who my body was not right going into accepting that i was trans my like self-narrative was Mm -hmm. if i could push a button and turn the lower half of my body female i would but i'm happy with the upper half of my body including my goatee and not having breasts
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: then a few years later I was about to start hormones and I was asking the doctor like, Hey, is there a way I can like make sure I only get a or B cup breasts? I really don't (laughs) want to be like C cup or cup kind of thing. And uh, he was like, I mean, really it's just diet and genetics kind of thing. And I was like, okay, and then two weeks later, like by far the first thing that ever changed on hormones was I suddenly realized that actually I wouldn't mind having C cup breasts now that I think about it. Mm. It wouldn't, Uh it it would be kind of neat actually. Like, and, as I've gone on, I have become more and more enamored with the fact that I know how breasts and how awesome they are. And Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, I I kind of relate to that. Not in that direction, but um, starting testosterone, like oh, sure, sure. that when I first started T, I was like, okay, I'm only like the only change I actually want is for my voice to lower just a little bit. Um, I don't want it. Like, I don't want facial hair. I don't want body hair. I'm like nervous about like other stuff like that. I was like, I can go slow. And then once the changes start that I don't want, I'll just stop. And like, it's not a big deal. Like if I start growing facial hair, I'll stop teeth. Um, But as the changes actually started, I was like, you know what? I actually really don't mind having some more body hair. Like I, I kind of like watching my like, like hair fill out more and get darker. Like, it, yeah, like I was like, but like I was saying, like, just, I
1: think that our community and culture would be better able to understand the trans experience if we could talk about the differences between someone who purely on a social level because that's purely what gender is sure is Mm no the things that you're the box you're putting in me into is so wrong that i am not binary i am not a woman or i am not a man i am so not that that i am something
0: yeah and that like the body has nothing to do with that
1: Yeah. yeah and like there is nothing that makes them less trans than someone who is a transsexual absolutely more yeah <laughs> more or less trans than another transsexual if they happen to have been on hormones for two seconds uh-huh. or never or can't ever start hormones or yes. get any kind of surgery and everything like yeah. the whole concept of transmedicalism.
0: i know literally i was like yeah please no no transmits here thank you <laughs> I guess
1: I'm saying, like, like it makes me feel like that is one thousand percent right-wing nut jobs and people who've been duped by them. Yes. Like it doesn't sound like uh, anything an
0: actual queer person would ever say, except for very young and unexperienced queer people who don't have any sense of queer history. They've been spooned, they've been told it by one person and they're like, okay, that sounds legit. And, and to be honest, same with the turf ideology, like that whole like mm-hmm. second wave
1: feminism style branding of like, we are gonna stamp our foot on the transsexual empire kind of approach to reality. <laughs> So the term turf is widespread and yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm settled it is a good term for them but I came across somebody using a different one and it was so hilarious for multiple reasons fart fart feminist appropriating
0: radical transphobe oh my gosh because they're appropriating the term feminism and they're radical transphobes oh my gosh and willing like the whole like being willing to throw other women under the bus in as if that's going to help you get or maintain your own rights it just Uh uh-huh and same with trans meds where it seems like some of them think that like the reason people are transphobic is because of all these like fake trans these trans trenders and all of that like if those people would go away people would like the cis would stop being transphobic it's like no you're wrong like you're you're so misled that is not how it works (laughs) yes you're being lied to by the people that want you gone. Yeah. And they will, they will still, they will still discriminate against you. Even if you somehow manage to get rid of all the people who aren't trans enough to meet your standards, like you're just doing their dirty work for them before they attack you next.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I bet that I've forgotten something huge <laughs> and you might realize it later. And like you said, it's possible we could do a recording thing later if we need to. Yeah. Uh, one of the last things I'm going to do is like throw off some recommendations. And one of them yeah. is Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano. Have you read
0: that? I haven't, but I've heard of it many times.
1: I'm one of those people that like every human should read this, not just every trans person okay. or every friend of a trans person. Okay.
0: It like had some really good and cogent theories
1: and understandings of the way our culture got to where it is mm, okay. and the way it treats femininity and a better term than gender identity that I really wish was used more often mm. and all this kind of stuff. There's like just so much good stuff in there. Awesome. Um, cool. Do you know Dr. Roger Ray? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's labeled under, like, you can find it online under Progressive Faith Sermons. Okay. Or something like that. He is the pastor, or at least was the last time I heard. I haven't been getting recent stuff from anybody, tech problems and all. But Mm -hmm. last I heard, he was putting out, like, basically weekly sermon-style podcasts of his sermons in a very open and progressive church in, I think, Missouri, like Springfield, Missouri, I think is where it is, but I'm not positive. Okay. But it's basically mm-hmm. like somewhere in the middle of the country, too far away for me to go visit, basically, is like the imprint. Okay, I Yeah. I found yeah. out about it. And he, I have heard so many amazingly, if I heard this in my church, I would not have left that church kind of yes. sermons from there. Yeah. And he specifically has talked about how he calls himself a Christian, but most other Christians would not consider him a Christian because he doesn't yeah believe the same way they do about the specific things they do, but he still finds value in calling himself a Christian. So, like, just hearing you talk about that and hearing him talk about that in the past, I'm like, oh wait, I need to make sure that you know about and can listen to that. Thank you, thank you. And the next thing was uh, basically this one thing I'm introducing has introduced me to so much good stuff. Best of the Left. It's been around for like way more than a minute. Okay, like it's like 2006. Like I don't remember exactly when, but like before 2010 and starting a de- one decade in mm-hmm. he started like putting out compilation like a year in review kind of mm-hmm. episodes of just like taking things from the year 2010 or you know that, that kind of stuff and just there have been some really interesting episodes of that mm-hmm. and he does a great job of not only and also with volunteers you know curating the content of like finding good stuff that Piecing together multiple different shows within one show that talk about a theme. And then one of the reasons why it's actually worth listening to, instead of just listening to more different kinds of podcasts, so you can mm-hmm. get them and kind of construct that stuff in your head, is Jay is a really good model of that white cishet, blah, 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 kind of guy who <laughs> is actually open and willing to learn. And the number yeah. of times Jay has said something that made me go, Ugh, you know, but then Two or three episodes later, he's like, "Oh wow, so and so wrote told me. and said this yeah. thing, and I didn't realize that." And like the number of very specific and obvious like growth moments that Jay yes. went through in public, yeah. and it's just it's such a good model for that kind of behavior. Yeah, yeah. So other podcasts that I'm highly recommending to everybody who's listening to this: uh-huh. uh, Making Gay History. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yes, mm-hmm. and then one from the Vaults: Making Gay History has a understandable but uh slightly obvious like tilt towards lesbian and gay issues but one of yeah. the vaults is hosted by morgan impage a trans woman herself and it's like just nice. awesome little slices of trans history across the globe mostly really oh fun in the like north america and okay. british and like everything but it's really like some of them are really like honoring other cultures than how they interacted with transness and just like especially like mm-hmm. the one on like Vancouver's uh sex industry and like the the way there were trans women there were like it's just a wow, so there's some some really good episodes of that. I highly recommend both of the shows awesome, especially to queer people, but even to people who are like adjacent to people who are adjacent to queer people yeah. Like-
0: <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much for the recs um and I'll again, I'll make sure to have a lot of links in the show notes for people to see where they can find you so you're are and all all of your awesome recommendations yay but yeah thank you so much I really really appreciate your time mm-hmm. this has been such a pleasure and a labor of love
1: so to speak I guess yeah I mean I kind of feel like whatever the word is like guiltily
0: egotistical for just talking about myself for several hours kind of saying. but like it really helps other people like it really yeah exactly it's like it really does to just hear other people's points of view either because then you realize you're not alone or that oh yeah the world is so much wider than I thought that yep like so yeah thank you
1: Indeed. I'm a very big fan of breaking people's brains yeah. <laughs> so they can be reset and grow better and grow more healthily and stuff, you
0: know? Amen. Absolutely.